0: Kids love movies. If you're a young person who can't see or can't see well, audio description provides access to the visual images that sighted kids enjoy. The benefits of audio description in education, Baby Contest, sponsored by ACB's Audio Description Project and the Described and Captioned Media Program, wants those kids to experience audio description and then tell us about it. You have a chance to win prizes for yourself and your teacher. Just go to www.baitycontest.org. B-A-D-I-E contest and keep on enjoying audio description. Opinions expressed on
1: ACB Radio are those of the respective program contributors and cannot be assumed to serve as endorsements of products or views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff.
2: Good evening, ACB community. Um, we are next gen narration and uh welcome to black history month um before we start our program i'm going to have our host greg Wansnider, also known as triple g to explain how things are going to work tonight
1: okay thank you tyann
2: um so um
1: if first of all, thank you all for listening on ACB Radio and um, to those on Zoom, I'm uh, we're really expecting a lively uh, discussion here tonight with uh, both of our presenters. Um, so uh, we are very excited. Uh, so if you um, are on Zoom, and um, when it is the Q- time for Q&A, if you would like to raise your hand, and I will repeat this again at Q&A time, but if you have questions, um you can raise your hand by pressing Alt-Y on the PC. Um, on the Mac, it's Options Y. On the smartphone um, app, it's under the More button, and then just swipe down until you see the raise hand. It should be the the first option going down. And on the phone, it's star 9, and that is a toggle. If you would like to mute or unmute, that's also a toggle. On the PC, that's Alt-A. On the uh, Mac, that's uh, Command-Shift-A. If you would like to mute or unmute on the phone, that is star six. And if you'd um, like to mute or unmute on the app, that is uh, in the lower left corner. We ask just for the integrity of the stream that um, our Zoom uh, friends uh, stay muted um, in, um, until it's your turn to ask a question or to speak. So, uh
2: Diane, back to you. Thanks, Greg. Okay, so we're going to get started with our first group of presenters with MCAC. We have Peggy Garrett. Well, good evening, everyone.
3: It's wonderful to be with you this evening. And I want to start out by saying happy anniversary to the next generation on your very first anniversary we are so glad to have Next Generation as a part of our organization. You know, it's, it's really important that you all have stepped up and are preparing yourselves to take on leadership uh, roles in the future, and even some of you starting already. So thanks to you all for all that you do, all that we know you're going to do to keep ACB moving forward. We really appreciate you. And I'd also like to thank you for the opportunity to have Multicultural Affairs here with you this evening to help celebrate during your Black History Month program. So thank you. We look forward to working with you with other programs in the future as well. So our program this evening is, there are going to be four members of our Multicultural Affairs Committee presenting, and they are Cheryl Cummings, Mary Harorian, Pam Hill, and Sandra Sermons. So I'm going to pass it on to Cheryl so that we can get the uh, program started.
4: Oh, thank you so much, Peggy. And I absolutely want to echo everything Peggy has said and to also express um, our appreciation from the Multicultural Committee of having a chance to partner with the Next Generation um, organization. So Black History Month, um, in sort of talking about what we'd like to present today, we decided that we would like to first talk a little bit about the origins of Black History Month. Where did it come from? What is it you know supposed to be doing? Um, and then we want to share share some information. Sort of following the. Um, directive, I don't know, or following the goals of the of the month as envisioned by Dr. Um, Woodson, we would love to share some information about um, some folks who are African-American who are blind and to talk about their contributions. And um, after that, we will then open it up for discussion because we think there's a lot that people would want to talk about. So, in talking about the origins of Black History Month, um, started, I would say, around 19, in 1915, there was a celebration in Chicago um, celebrating emancipation and uh, Black achievement. And as a, as a sort of a result of that um, coming together of people, Dr. Carter Woodson, uh, who is or was an African-American um, historian and some of his colleagues got together and started to talk and came up with this idea of creating a week, which would focus on sort of the achievements and give black com- communities a chance to have a way of sort of ongoing recognition and um, knowing a uh, you know, gaining knowledge of the different contributions of African-Americans. Dr. Woodson chose February because within Black communities already, um, there were celebrations in February of uh, the birthdays of Abraham Lincoln and um, Frederick Douglass. And he thought this would sort of build... On, on those um, opportunities of people coming together. But he also thought that in as much as this, you know, there's value in knowing about sort of the works and the contributions of great men, it's also really important for the black community to know also about um, the contributions of everyday people. So he wanted us to learn about inventors and doctors and business people teachers and preachers and, and diplomats. And just to recognize that there are lots and lots of ways that blacks, um, emancipation and on were contributing to the, um, success, not only of the black community, but of America. Cause, uh, at the turn of the 20th century, beginning of the 20th century, as now, um, there, it's obvious that there weren't necessarily, um, recognition of the role of of blacks. So then, in 1916, Dr. Woodson um, decided to found an organization, and the organization still exists today. And its purpose was to distribute and to um, publish the work, the works of black academicians. Um, but also, and I should say, and to provide materials that could be used during celebration of what was then called Negro History Week um, in the 1920s and 1930s, uh, the celebrations, the, the sort of acceptance of the week grew, um, moving from in sort of small communities to larger and larger communities and to some extent, even nationwide. Um, And we would say uh, helped along by what emerged as Negro history clubs that were all across the nation. Also, as African-Americans started to migrate from the south to the north, they brought the celebration of the um, uh, Negro History Week. Uh, The civil rights movement in the 1960s further aided with the acceptance of the week and also began to call for it to be a month-long focus. In 1976, President Ford officially recognized Black History Month, and he said that it should be seen by the public because I would say Black History Week started off as a, a celebration and a way for blacks to learn about themselves and to know about their contributions. And over the years, it's expanded to include sort of sharing knowledge with all Americans. So um, President Ford said that with the official recognition of February as the Black History Month, it should be a time for the public to seize the opportunity to Um, Oh, sorry, to seize seize the opportunity to honor the too often neglected accomplishments of Black Americans. Um, Since 1976, each president, Republican and Democrat, proclaims February as Black History Month. Um, And that is where we are today. Um, I want to tell you a little bit about Carter Woodson. Um, uh, Dr. Carter Woodson. So, uh, Dr. Carter Woodson was the son of former slaves. He himself did not really begin to pursue formal education until he was about 20. Nonetheless, he got his first uh, undergraduate degree from a university in Kentucky, and then he got his second uh, undergraduate degree and his master's from the University of Chicago. And I went on to be the second African American person to get a PhD from Harvard University. So um, in summary, we see the months, the the celebration starting from uh, a week-long celebration, um, which really was to provide sort of provide opportunities for African Americans to learn and to know about themselves and their contributions that they were making and had made and expanding that to making sure that America learned about the contributions and achievements of Black Americans. So I'm going to stop there and invite up Sandra to tell us about a particular person that we wanted to bring to your attention.
5: Okay, um, thank you, Cheryl. Hopefully you all can hear me um i am very honored um to be here with you this evening serving mcac and i echo what peggy and cheryl and everyone else has said I'm definitely proud to be a part of this learning experience and happy birthday next gen so um I am presenting um, Donald Galloway, Don Galloway. And Don was very interesting. Um, He was actually the first person um, to challenge the State Department's regulations against hiring blind foreign service officers. That's probably... If you have heard of him, that's probably what he's most known for. But Don, he was he was a rebel um, pretty much from the beginning. Um, he he really took Frederick Douglass's, you know, agitate, agitate. He took that very seriously and he agitated and agitated and agitated some more. So, yeah. Um, Don was born in 1938, and he actually, he was not born blind. He was born sighted, um, but he had an accident. He was playing with a bow, bow and arrow, and um, it caught him in the eye and infected it, and unfortunately, he was not able to receive the proper medical care. So, not only did he initially lose one eye, but he ended up the infection um, ended up spreading to both eyes, rendering him totally blind. So, he, but he did not let that stop him. Um, he went to California to get some training. Um, it's also where he got his uh, under, undergraduate degrees. Um, but by 1974 is when he really started um, his his road to agitation because he worked um, at the Center for Independent Living in um, DC, um, and he started working there as director of services services for people who are, um, and basically continued on with that. Um, until he became the executive director uh, of the government council on the handicapped. Um, he also uh, served as the director of the peace Corps in Jamaica, but he, so as you can see, he was a huge advocate and he starts to build his advocacy skills and his network and his relationships and, and things of that nature. And so Um, 1991 comes along and he is trying to he is trying to um, serve on a jury and these in DC at the time that was unheard of Um, and typically uh, people who are blind were just summarily dismissed. Like, okay, you're blind. You can't possibly serve on a jury. You can't um, independently evaluate evidence. You can't, you can't um, be an effective juror. So yes, you may be an American citizen. Yes, you may be a voter and have the right to vote, but no, you're not good enough to, to serve. Um, and Don challenged that. And and he, um, his premise being that he was perfectly capable, um, and blind people in people who are blind, but back then it was blind people, so I'll go with that. But vernacular um, were capable of being as good of a, a member of the jury as anyone else. And okay, our techniques may differ, but we still are able to. Um, obtain the same information as everyone else you know um so his argument was that he could his argument was that the fact that he was blind should not categorically exclude him from or any other blind person for that matter um from participating on a jury and ultimately he was successful because the court said that um OK, yes, you're right. We, we are no longer going to exclude people solely by virtue of their blindness. We're going to from now on, we're going to we're going to evaluate folks on an individual basis. And that's major back then, because, um, you know, blindness, as you know, blindness and vision loss, depending on um, mm-hmm. it, it, it has negative connotations and so for for the courts to say they didn't quite say okay yes people who are blind or visually impaired are equal but they said you know what we're not going to categorically we're not going to just cast them all out as as um we're not going to say that they they all can't serve either so that was a major thing then um he had uh, a great deal of international experience he spoke several different languages was a world traveler um, and so he wanted to be a, a member of the foreign service and so he um the 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 way that you apply for the foreign service is you you take the oral exam you take the written exam and then um you are placed in uh, in some foreign country your your station or posted at a at a an embassy in a particular country. So he passed. Okay, the 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 written and the oral. But then when it came time for the um, the medical part, they said, uh, "No, we can't. You're blind." And um, the State Department said, "You know, that's a that's a, a hazard and also a security risk. Um, blind people, by by definition, it, it is a security risk." We can't. You, you, are um, potentially. Um, you have basically. Uh, if a terrorist wants to attack you, they can kidnap you, and you're you're just very vulnerable. And we can't take that risk. Now, Don, of course, did not agree with that, um, and and so he fought against it, and he fought, and he fought, and ultimately, um, he ended up suing the state department. Um, the state department still did not hire him. However, they essentially, they settled, um, they, they settled a lawsuit with him. Um, and, and that was the first real chink in the armor of the state department. To where they, you know, because up until this point, um, ca- again, categorically, <laughs> you're blind. Okay, you can't be a foreign There's service. Officer. You can't be a, bl- a foreign service officer. Period. Point blank. End of discussion. Okay. And Don said, "Well, well wait a minute. If I have all of these qualifications and I speak six languages and I can, you know, these are the qualifications of your foreign service officers. I have these things. I just happen to be blind. Um, I I don't accept the idea that I can't be an effective foreign service officer. And so this is the first, as I said, chink in the armor when the State Department didn't agree exactly. But uh, a few of the bricks fell, and it made it possible for the next person coming behind him um, ultimately to be hired by the Foreign Service as the first blind Foreign Service officer. So um, Don was a pioneer. Um, Worked had a, a numerous amounts of appointments to various um, cabinet-level positions, um, being an advisor. Uh, the D.C. mayor, he was a special assistant um, on disability rights issues, um, worked in the Peace Corps, um, and ultimately he, he worked for the D.C. government as the ADA compliance officer, and that is the position that he um, retired from, uh, when, he, when he did retire from his government service, he retired from that position. So as you can see, um, Don was a major, major player. Um, you have an African-American who is making his contribution to society, to the disability rights movement, to the civil rights movement, all of those things um, one step at a time one shink at a time and paving the way for in the folks-
6: plot? you want to say the plot? okay
5: uh, alrighty then um, paving the way uh, for as a predecessor or or folks coming behind him to kind of stand on his shoulders and reach even greater heights. So this concludes my presentation on Don and I'm turning it over to Cheryl. Thank you. Um, So now we're going to
4: invite Mary to tell us about another person.
7: Okay. Thank you, Cheryl. And um, thank you everyone for inviting MCAC to um present this um um presentation and actually i'm I this is the very first presentation I've ever participated in regarding black history so I'm very appreciative to Multicultural Affairs Committee um being a part of the committee and having the chance to to be a part of this and um happy birthday to next generation so I'm gonna speak about Everly Hairston. Everly Hairston has, has always been about making a real change happen. She is a staunch advocate for disability rights and social justice. She began her activism marching alongside Dr. Martin Luther King and remains a steadfast advocate and supporter of people who are blind, visually impaired, and Um, also in educating the general public about blindness. Everly was born in North Carolina during segregation and attended segregated schools. She remembers the hand-me-down books and remembers struggling to read the bulletin board in school because of, you know, poor vision. But in spite of all this, Everly wanted to be a nurse and planned to do so. So, after graduating high school, she went to work in New York City and worked there as a, as a live-in maid to earn money for, for school. When she returned at the end of that summer, she found that she was not going to be able to pass the re- required vision exam for nursing school and so was not able to um, enter the nursing program. But she didn't let this stop her. She then decided to get a teaching degree and did. She got a teaching degree from North Carolina Central University and began teaching. But after about four years of teaching, she was then diagnosed with the eye condition retinitis pigmentosa. And this finally explained her lifelong you know, worsening vision problems. And unfortunately, it put an end to her teaching career. She had to resign her post due to the, her pending blindness. But even this did not stop Everly. And um, though she was disappointed, she rebound and began um, to take graduate courses in counseling at Rutgers University and was then able to secure a counselor trainee position. At the Camden for the, um, in New Jersey, for the Camden County Department of Health and Human Services. Now, throughout all of this time, Everly admits that she was, quote unquote, faking my way through. She really didn't have the blindness skills and and realized that. She had always and was always um, reliant on sighted assistance to help her through. But this um, did change when she um, began attending, in 1990, the Louisiana Center for the Blind. And she really credits this program for helping her to learn all of the essential life skills, the essential blindness skills that she hadn't known. So through this program, she learned to use a cane. She learned to read Braille and so many of the other life-independent living techniques that we as blind people need to learn. So she really credits this program for helping her really gain her her self-confidence and really sort of propelled her into um, her continued ongoing future success. Um, In April's Braille Forum, you'll be able to read a little bit more about Everly, and also a poem that she wrote, and um, it's it's a beautiful poem, and I think it really reflects her outlook on on life, her perspective on life. So I hope you'll um, make a point of of reading that when when the form comes out in April, and that issue is going to be devoted to diversity. So um, anyway, so that's that's Everly ha- Hairston, and um, I'm very very grateful that I've had the chance to kind of get to know, well, get to read about Everly and and um, hear hear her story. So, and I that concludes my presentation. Right. Thank you.
4: Thank you so much, Mary. So, as we said, we're we're following uh, Dr. Woodson's goal. We're talking about everyday people, and we are so fortunate that we can and we do can find and, and can talk about everyday. African-Americans who are blind. So I'm going to turn it back to
5: Sandra to tell us some more. Thank you, Cheryl. Um, and thank you, Mary. So um, I, I love the way that this um, outline is flowing. You know, the everyday person, the Joe Blow on the street. Um, to that end, our next featured people, are ACB members? Because we it's it's wonderful to find out about people of color who are blind who have made a contribution. But it's even better when those when the people are actually members of our illustrious organization, ACB. So the first um Pam Pamela Shaw and Cynthia Towers were the first African Americans to be elected as officers of, of ACB. Um, Pam was first vice president, Cynthia was secretary. But long before they were elected to ACB's board, um, they were advocates in their own right. So, Pam is a native of Philadelphia. She is a social worker by profession, and she's also a lifelong advocate. Anyone who knows Pam knows that she brings style, grace, and fun to anything that she does. So, she has had to advocate for herself as a social worker who's blind, um, obtaining the licensures that she needed in order to practice her craft Um, and placements in terms of, okay, you have a practicum and you... So she has spent her time um, advocating. And one thing about Pam... She doesn't just advocate for herself. Her her motto has always been, you know, I'm trying to pave the way. I'm trying to make it better so that people, folks coming behind me will not have this experience. And she views every opportunity, every encounter as an opportunity to educate, to teach, Um decided public and even um us in ACB um who she is what she can do what um what she's made of really so like one of the things that she did for example for many many years she ran the information desk everybody knew Pam Shaw um Just very gregarious, very, and so she rose through the ranks. Um, She joined ACB when she was still living in DC. So she was very active in the DC chapter. Back then, it was DC Association of Workers for the Blind. Um, And then she rose through the ranks. And when she moved back to Philly, um, she became active in the Pennsylvania, actually, I'll go back for one second. She was active in both the DC and Maryland um, affiliates. And she, and I want to say she was elected to the board from Maryland. Then she moved to Philly and got involved in the Pennsylvania affiliate. Cynthia is a native of Washington State and she. was the assistant convention coordinator of ACB for many, 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 many years? Um, she kind of cut her teeth on that, on that, and that is how she um, gained her notoriety for everybody in ACB. Anybody who attended a convention, Nucentia. Um, she was a teacher by profession, and. Um, she, Pam was a braille reader, so she was a huge proponent of braille. Cynthia is, um, Cynthia has low vision, so she was huge when it came to um, CCLVI and ensuring uh, large print and contrast and the signs were, you know, properly created. And she, she was there front and center. Um, and so both of those women. Paved the way for African Americans who came behind them and were elected. Um, whether it's it's to state boards, special interest affiliates, or the national organization. Without that, concludes my presentation. So now I'd like to hand it over to Pam.
8: I had to unmute, excuse me. Okay. Hi, you guys. Um, First off, happy birthday, next generation. You guys are growing up. You're a year old. Um, I'm going to be talking about a, a, a young lady that I found very fascinating simply because I just love her name. Miss Fetty Pico. And um, she was born in Westboro, North Carolina, when separate but equal was still the law. She... She actually worked for the Library of Congress. God, I would have loved to have her job for 49 years. And she's president of the D.C. Council of the Blind for ACB. She... Hold on. She worked... Yeah, I got that. She um, believes that... (laughs) She believes that I'm, I'm discussing the Black History side of this, so she believes that Black History, to for, for Black people to uphold and believe and understand their own history, we um <coughs> um to, to believe and uphold their history. She believes that the strongest group of Black people are African. I always say Black, but African American people. We have um should uphold our oral written. And our um, how do you say our, our artifacts of, hi- of our history? It's very really important that even though we're Americans, we still are African Americans, and um, that we should hold up to our own history. Hold on, paired. They have uniquely con- con- they have uniquely um, contributed to. Our history and our culture, because they 're blind and visually impaired, and they tend to to work harder uh, and to achieve their goals because we are black and, and we are african american and she believes that in her own case in her own in her own case that she worked harder and to achieve her goals because she is african American and she feels that even though we 're african american we're still Americans and that we should uphold our, our goals and, and work hard to achieve our goals because if we don't achieve them, who's going to believe them? Um, we she also believes that that, um, people of, of America should understand they should understand our culture as a group of people. Our culture is, we have a very strong and unique culture and she believes that in that, um, We should, as well as hmm, we should be, we should respect other people's cultures as they respect ours. And as I read this article about Miss Pico and how she, what she believed in African, how she believed in African American history and how she believed that that um, Black History Month was important and that Black History is important in our own history is important to others. She is a strong proponent of people knowing their past. And, um, as I am, I am my family. We researched our own history and I am a proud African as well as a native American of this country. So I think that Ms. Pico and, um, is a very unique and beautiful black woman who, who feels that our history is important and that we as black people should believe in our own history. And I also, love to meet her one day, and I want to thank Sandra for introducing her to me, and I know her, I know that um, we have to, we as the next, I I know that as you, I'm skipping all over my braille, I'm sorry, and all over my recordings, but I believe that you as the next generation need to understand that um, what you, what, what you what, are, what your families, whether you're black or white, what your families did in the past is important to your own future so that you can understand where you came from in the future. So, for your own future and your own children's 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 future. So, I'm sorry if I'm rambling, but I'm nervous. So, I'm sorry. But I do believe Ms. Pico has a very strong, um, is a very strong woman, and I'm done. So, I'm sorry.
4: There's nothing to apologize about. It, it is beautiful. I mean, I think um, I want to thank, you know, Peggy, Sandra, Mary, and Pam for um, being part of this presentation and for sharing information and sharing these beautiful stories about African Americans who are blind, who are making contributions and changing, you know, taking actions and steps that affect um, the way our society sees us and and making t- tangible uh, changes for the future. And as I think everyone said, you know everybody makes a change and, and even though you may not be the person who benefits directly from the change, you started the all of these people started something and, and they've created paths that allow, all of us, not just African Americans, and all of us uh, people who are blind, to be able to build on what they've done and to move forward. So, with that, I'm going to say thank you and open it up for questions or feedback or.
1: Anything. Yes. And if you would like to ask a question or give a comment, we do have uh, uh, about fifteen minutes to do so, or just a little over fifteen minutes. Again, um, to raise your hand on the PC, it's Alt Y. On the uh, Mac, it's Options Y. And on the uh, phone, on the smartphone app, it's under More. Uh, And then the raise hand option and star nine on the phone. So if you have questions or comments, uh, you can uh, get those hands up in the air, and we will take them. And right now, uh, panel, I am seeing no hands. So... Well, we we have a
4: question maybe that we mm-hmm. wanted to to put to the to to the group and sort of get uh, responses. Um, I would love to hear people's ideas on um, whether we think Black History Month is something that we need to celebrate.
1: Okay, and we do have Lisa with her hand raised. So, Lisa, you can unmute and. Go ahead.
9: Good evening, everyone. Um, As a newly blind person, I would like to say that presentation was awesome. I am an African-American, and I do plan to make some strides. I don't plan to let this beat me. So I thank you all for being who you are, ACB. Uh, Lisa, we are so glad that you found us and that you're here. Um, I'm here yeah. to my teacher. Um, I, I bought a computer um, through Freedom Scientific and through, I guess, it's World Services for the Blind. Mm-hmm. And I was introduced to um, Belinda Collins, who is your new intern with uh, Cindy. And um, she was awesome. and. I can, you know, I can't say enough about her and she's the reason why I'm here because I was really lost because as I said, my situation was abrupt. I was a sighted person and I had an incident and I don't see anymore. So the person that I was, I was very active and in the community, I was with the UAW. I was a vice president of my local. I did a lot, you know, so I want to continue to live that life. And I don't want to let this blindness stop me. So I that think. Is, thank you. That is uh, awesome.
4: And I, I want nice. to encourage you to stay in touch. Yeah. Ask, ask Belinda to get you in touch with us at the uh, Multicultural Affairs Committee. Because okay. um, I think we would, I, we'd lo- I, I personally, I mean, I, I think everyone in our mm-hmm. group would love to talk with you because okay. um, we've all had, uh, I think, experiences that might, you know, can help and then
1: uh, we can answer questions.
9: Right. That's fantastic. Uh, Thank you.
1: We'll Thank you. Okay. Lynn, you may go ahead and unmute.
10: Hello next gen and everybody and multicultural affairs committee. Well, of course there should be a black history month because, you know, black people have been economically disadvantaged, socially disadvantaged, and the fact is that there should be and I really appreciated hearing people talk about um, Cynthia Towers, Pam Shaw, and Freddie Pico, people I, I, I've i known over the years. And, you know, these are people that we should know about, including um, Don, and I hope you mentioned um, the people who talked about Don and uh, Everly would talk about how to look them up online because... Um, I didn't know about those two people, and they're people of the past for for me. So I would like to know how to find out more about them. And thank you very much, and thank you, Multicultural Affairs Committee. I, I respect a lot of the work that you do. Thank you.
4: So, as uh, as Mary mentioned, the April, um, uh, uh, April, what do we call it? Um, braille forum braille forum i didn't forum. mean it that way mm-hmm. <laughs> I meant, I meant that our, our uh, april braille forum is is focusing on diversity and there'll be more information there on everly and i think don is one of the um profiles we provide also yes. right
5: yes, yes he is yeah mm-hmm. and um also lynn hi this is sandra um we're definitely like mary and uh, you said Uh, There'll be more information in our April e-forum. And also, I can just send you the whole, because it actually, um, there is a list and there's some narrative information, and I can send that to you. That's not a problem.
1: Okay. Um, It looks like um, that's all the hands that that we have for right now, Uh, except... Um as I say that 617 area code. Um can you unmute please and um and talk to us?
11: Good evening and thank you so much for doing this. My name is Rose Mary Miller from Boston Uptown Roxbury. How is everybody?
12: <laughs> we good, good Rose? You, Rose. Nice to see you. Yeah.
11: <laughs> okay. Um I just wanna say that um I think this is very important that Black History Month is very important to uh, bring forth to other cultures and other communities because there are not, you know, uh, some of the uh, visuals that people have of Black people in general, and especially Black uh, blind people, are not always in a positive light. And so I just want to say that I think that what you guys are doing is great. Um, I'm visually impaired as well. And I just want to say that I'm actually an advocate um, by profession, but I'm also an advocate for myself. Um, I, um, I am one of the first visually impaired persons that uh, attended Roxbury Community College and I also am one of the first visually impaired persons that um, I'm working for the state of Massachusetts in my um, position. And um, I just want to no- let you know that I am still trying to be an advocate and trying to encourage people to um, apply for jobs and do what they need to do. And the young lady that just spoke about, you know, still wanting to do the things that she used to do, you can still do them. You know, It just, at this time, you want to just think about this. You still, you know, yes, you, you may have lost your eyesight, but you still have a vision. So you can continue to do those things that you wanted to do. God bless you, and thank you. Thank
3: you. Thank, thank, thank you, you Rose. very much
4: Rose.
3: We're- Rose, this is Peggy Garrett and Michael is here too. It is so good to hear your voice. We've we've missed you at conventions, but it's wonderful to hear your voice and to know that you're still advocating. Stay strong and keep doing what you're doing.
13: And I wanted to to address the question that you asked Cheryl. Is black history, the celebration important? By all means, it is very important. Uh, not because of the celebration, but because of the impact that Black people have made on this country. If you think about the contributions, the innovators. That's fine. That's fine. That's <laughs> those keep going, Michael. It's okay. Those, yeah. Those, yeah. Think about all yeah, of That's innovators. okay. That's that's fine. All of the innovations that have been that have been no, that's uh, okay. That's that's. Oh, I think he's
1: on the phone. Yeah,
14: no, don't don't worry about it. That's fine.
13: Okay,
1: I'm trying to get him. Sorry.
14: Um,
1: okay. Okay, Michael, you can continue. Okay. I'm sorry.
13: <laughs> well, as I'm saying, when you think about all of the innovations that have that have been developed by. Uh, black people in this country that have benefited every citizen those those things are enormous and have contributed mightily just think about booker t washington all of the things that he that he uh invented or discovered so so we have a rich contribution to the success of the United States of America. And so not only do we celebrate, we commemorate and we lift up all of the things, the contributions that we've made to this country.
1: Okay, and we have our um, ACB president and um, extraordinaire, Dan Spoon, who has his hand raised. So Dan, I'll call on you next. You may unmute and uh, speak to the panel.
0: I, I just wanted to say thank you so much to the Multicultural Affairs Committee for doing this with the celebration of Black History Month. And congratulations, uh, Next Gen, on your birthday. And I go along with Michael. And, and to me, also, it's just a wonderful opportunity to educate. There's nothing like listening to people's personal stories to really, uh, you know, um, learn. And, and and through learning and knowledge is what makes us i think uh, better better people so thank you so much
1: okay and we have uh no more raised hands and uh looks like we have about in this part of the uh we have about eight more minutes so Cheryl, can I say something?
4: Absolutely.
8: Um, This is Pam again, and I made myself nervous, I'm sorry, but I want to say that I grew up in California, and we, California is a unique state where Black history was like this big, huge thing in school for us. Um, But it was always the good things, they always hid the things, the negative things that happened. Um, But... For me, I studied African-American studies in college, and I enjoy history, the history of our culture, and I feel that if us, those of us of African-American descent or who are African-American, we need to know, we need to understand that our history is American history as well as our own history. Um, we contribute, we contributed so much to this country. And if we did not, if we were not here to contribute, where would this country be today if it wasn't for the African Americans in this country that came before us and the ones that are going to come after us? That's all I wanted to say.
4: I think that is, that is a marvelous way to, to wrap up because um, I, I was listening to some other, uh, attending another um, webinar today, and they were talking about black history and and as we're doing here a little bit thinking about the future. And um, they one of the one of the speakers mentioned the fact that this is truly an important sort of pivotal point. You know, we've gone through, uh, we've had a year of a pandemic. Uh, We've, we've had the last summer, where There was so much uh, discontent and uprising, and people continuing to push to make our country a more perfect union and to help the country to realize all of its goals and aspirations set out in the Constitution. Um, And here we are again. We're at Black History Month. And, you know, again, we have a chance to um, continue sort of building on what's been achieved in the past and continue working towards, as, as I think some of, uh, you know, I mentioned before, a more perfect union. So I'm, I, I so much appreciate NextGen inviting us to talk with you and to share about Black History Month and, um, and also to be part of your own uh, anniversary. And I hope that this is just the beginning of um, many, many more uh, opportunities for the next gen group in MCAC to work together.
1: Okay. Tyann, I do have one more raised hand. Do we have time for that or shall mm-hmm. we transition on?
2: We should transition on so I can talk about ACB Next Gen yes. a little
1: bit. Wonderful. But so, don't no nobody leave because we have an amazing speaker coming up so as Tyanne talks you know keep tuned in on ACB radio and keep it here on Zoom because we have another amazing uh, presenter on the way
2: So we are ACB Next Gen I am Tyanne, and um, if you have any questions about ACB Next Generation. We are on Facebook under ACB Next Generation. We are on Twitter. We uh, have a YouTube channel that features different member spotlights. Go check us out. And if you have any questions or want to join, send an email to acbnextgen at gmail.com.
1: And Tyanne, real quick, before our friends at MCAC leave, if people want to get more involved, I was going to ask this, Cheryl or any of you, how can they contact you since you are, you know, co-sponsoring this with us? People want to get more involved in Multicultural Affairs Committee.
4: I'm, I'm going to invite time. Peggy to talk about that. Okay, thank you, Cheryl. I was trying to unmute, but you
3: can reach uh, me. I am the current chair. You can reach me either by email. My email is p r c garrett. It's my last name: g a r r e t t. So p r c garrett at sbcglobal.net, or you may read to me by phone at 281-438-9665. And I'd love to hear from you with ideas or suggestions for things that you would like to see MCAC do in the future, or if you're interested in becoming a part of the committee.
1: Okay.
2: Thank Thanks. you very much.
1: Thanks, Diane for letting me ask that. So,
2: Yes. And thank you, MCAC, for joining us this evening. That was an awesome presentation, I have to say. Um, So next on our agenda is presenter Will Burley, and uh, he's here to talk about more issues. And... Um, yeah, I'll let him introduce himself.
15: Okay, good evening. Um, how's everybody doing today? Um, well, I'm Will Burley, and um, I want to thank you guys for, first of all, inviting me here today uh i am in austin texas i'm part of a lot of affiliates throughout acb uh, american council of the blind of texas um bpi gdui and all the other alphabet uh soup um i come to you today um to speak on black history, but from a little bit different perspective um, than a lot of people talk about it. Um, I'm coming to you from the viewpoint of the intersectionality between being black, um, LGBTQIA and um, disabled. And um, hopefully we can have a conversation with each other um, so we can come to some real conclusions. Plus the fact I just, I don't like having a, I don't like to lecture people. (laughs) Um, I really like to have conversations. So I just want to take a look at, you know, looking at the holistic uh, view of since there's this great awakening, especially in the past year plus, almost, um, people are really open. And so that's what I want to do. Take this opportunity to, to talk to people, um, try to get them to think with a different perspective about not only the past, but moving into the future.
1: Will we um are are you still talking because we cannot hear you.
15: Okay, I think my Zoom gave out for a second. Okay. 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 <laughs> Sorry about that, but yes. Um I'm not sure how much you heard, but I'm I'm just looking forward to having a real conversation with with everyone. Um so you know, a lot of um People come, I'm coming from a viewpoint of cultural humility. This is something that I started working on um, really heavily last year um, at work. Um, I work for Disability Rights Texas, and uh, we started um, working on cultural humility. Um, in a really big way when everything happened last year with George Floyd. Um, This is a a work group that we've been working on for the past uh, two to three years or so um, to get away from the viewpoint of cultural competence, um, because competence just has that viewpoint of you know, we just have to do this. There's an endpoint. Once we learn um, whatever's on in the workshop or whatever the class is about, we're done. There's no no more to learn. But cultural competence um, denotes that there's a continual learning there's always something else to learn not only with people who are not um black or african american or whatever label um people are using for themselves before us all um so um as a as a black a man uh, in America last year was pretty, pretty rough uh, for me. Um, I've been a paralegal for about 20 years, and now I'm an advocate um, helping uh, other disabled folks um, with obtain their rights and employment. And so, I bring my experiences to the table, even though everybody's life is different. We do have some similarities um, so as a as a black man I'm originally from from Houston, so I was the first in a lot of things um, or the only in a lot of things um I was a president of uh, the fifth largest paralegal association in in the in America at the time. Um, first black, first male. Um, I worked at some from some large law firms in Houston, and I was the only black in the sea of a hundred plus uh, staff that worked for this one firm in particular. And in one on one hand, I was very lucky to work um, for these places and to have these experiences, but there's always something about being the first or the only. Um, you know, I'm a a light-skinned or light-complected black male. And so I realize there's a thing in the culture about colorism. Um, And so I've been lucky to have a lot of opportunities that some might not have had because I'm not viewed as threatening so to speak uh but in the same token i've had those experiences where you know i'm i'm looked at differently or have been looked at differently so i just want to get to the point especially through cultural humility um we all have our struggles uh, we all have, um, I don't like to say victim, um, but we ha- we all have those instances where we don't feel as though we're enough. And I think if we get to a place um, that we all realize that we all have a story, uh it would make the world a a little bit better. Um, And if we stop thinking we have to save the the whole world every day, it'll make it a little bit easier. If we just take our little piece uh, of the puzzle, if we all do our part, uh, things will get better pretty quickly. So, um, as as a uh, a gay male in the LGBTQI a plus community, there's also uh, a lot of times that I and others being LGBTQ disabled and black you feel like you're you're coming out of the closet not only once, but three times, uh, and it's difficult. But um, I was having a conversation earlier in the week, um, and it's really, this past year, even though it's been really hard and really difficult with being, um self-quarantined and being afraid of the the virus and being a part of a culture that um, has a lot of comorbidities and uh, more people are dying from from COVID. Um, It's also been a really good year because I've seen Black men talk about mental health i've seen people a culture that wants to get in touch with self and in touch with others and while we want to save the world we also want to save ourselves too not just from police brutality or uh, legalized murder or just from the pandemic, but we're realizing as a culture that we need to be mentally strong. And that's something that hasn't always been the case or we've, we've wanted to be mentally strong, but it's been really difficult as a black man to open up and say, I need help, or as a culture to say, I need help, I'm not feeling um, okay today, because you just have to pick up, or I hate that saying, pick yourself up, (laughs) by your bootstraps and keep going, which we do need to do, but... If you do that for so long and you keep that stress in inside, you only end, end up hurting yourself in the long run. So I've been doing uh, a lot of reading and a lot of uh, guided le- listening sessions, and people just want to talk. People want to share their fears. Um. And we're not always going to agree. Uh, my mom always used to tell me, "As long as it, it's just you and the world, you're gonna have disagreements, and that's okay." And a lot of times, we disagree with ourselves after too long. So, you know, it talking things out helps with conflict resolution. Um, You know, I have a lot of friends that are police officers that they have not so great feelings, um, not only with uh, black Americans, but with folks who are in the LGBTQIA community, or they don't know how to deal with the disabled community. Um so having those conversations and those conversations can be very difficult and 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 uncomfortable and tough but coming at it from the standpoint of this is how I'm experiencing you or the situation and not necessarily focusing on them as a person, but the, the systemic uh, piece that helps the conversation go on. Being able to ask questions. Um, and if things don't make sense, being able to ask another question and, and not talking over one another. So,, um, and somebody, I think earlier this week as well, said, "Don't you get tired of talking about this this situation or these topics?" And my answer was a big yes. <laughs> I do. I, I do get weary. Um, talking about it and uh, there's there's an author her name is dr love and she said i wasn't put here to fix racism for you i didn't create racism um, i didn't create your hate i i didn't i'm not put here on earth to fix this for you but I am here to help you understand after you do the your work, um, do the work that you need to do uh, to make things better, because we have to work together. Um, so with cultural humility, and I keep going back to that, um, is going to be really important because with that we realize that again we all have our story we all have a story so as part of black history um i've been really focused or not focused but studying on um a syndrome called post-traumatic s- a slave syndrome, and this is where um, during slavery and even before um, the country started, where there was chattel um, slavery, or what we what we view as slavery in the the textbooks, um, you know. The Black uh, culture couldn't show weakness. You had to be tough. You had to be strong in order to survive, in order to try to keep your family together, in order to not be killed. Um, so there was, there was a real hesitancy on, on, Showing weakness, whether it was physical or our mental health, um, and so a lot of things have have gone move forward, generation by generation, um, just out of habit. Uh, I, I was telling the story the other day that um, someone uh, a young girl and her mother a mother was teaching her daughter how to cook a a pot roast and the mother cut off the ends of the pot roast and the daughter said why are you cutting the ends off and the mom is like i don't know my my mother taught me go ask your grandmother So the girl asked her grandmother, why do you cut the ends off the pot roast when you're cooking it? She said, I don't know. My mother taught me that. So go ask your great-grandmother. So she says, great-grandma, why are you cutting the ends off of the pot roast? And the great-grandmother says, well, the pot we had wasn't big enough, so I just cut the ends off and, and threw them away. And people, every generation after that was doing it, they didn't know why, they didn't ask questions. They just did it because they saw it done. And that's the point of how we're dealing with trauma or how a culture is dealing with trauma. We're doing things out of habit, which it made sense to hide what we view as defi- deficiencies um, to survive then. But it doesn't quite make sense now. But we, we're so stuck in the trauma of uh, police brutality, uh, legalized slavery now. It's not called chattel slavery, but it's called uh, the prison system. Um, we're so stuck in, in, that, in that trauma that we're doing the same things over and over and over again. And so it's hard for us to get out of being stuck. We're uh, having that Groundhog Day um, mentality uh, where you do you're doing the same thing over and over again, and you understand that you lived this before, but you don't quite know how to get out of it. And I think that's the point of trauma. But what I've seen over the past year is a lot of a lot of people whether it's the lgbtqia community even the uh, disabled community more specifically the blind uh, community and uh, the black community wanting to not struggle and it's it's not you know everything doesn't happen in the first step or in one moment but we're we're slowly making our our way out of here out of the the trauma and every step while some steps might be baby steps you're still moving forward and even if you have to even if you're not moving forward at a, a certain point, you're still a little bit further than where you started. So, you know, yes, sometimes I get very tired, very weary, very frustrated. Talk. It seems like talking about the same thing over and over and People don't understand, or you see things happening in the news that we've all seen happening in the news. Um, that you you just don't. It's not easy to understand. Um, take for instance the the insurrection um, that happened earlier this year. Um, that one. Still amazes me because, and even even some of the Capitol Police said, if there were people of color uh, that were marching on the Capitol or even in D.C., they wouldn't have even been allowed to get that close to the Capitol, and there would have been more people that died not of the capital police uh but of the of the protesters even if they just would have been protesting rather than rioting and it's it's a difficult thing to sit there and 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 look at at these um or hear these things over and over again, or to sit there and look at, have people look at videos where people are being killed by the police that uh, either were running away or just put on, you know, put down and killed, not, not, uh, being a, a physical threat to the police at all, um, looking at the, the system where some people are put in prison for a lifetime over drug charges, uh, nonviolent uh, crimes, where they didn't hurt anybody else. Yes, they were hurting themselves, but they weren't a danger to anybody else. And they're in prison for the rest of their life. Um, when, they, when they are in prison, they get paid pennies on the dollar and they're getting, um, the outside world is getting free labor. And these uh, prison complexes are for profit. So for profit prisons is there. The only way they survive is to put more people in. And America has the highest number of people put in prison out of any uh, developed country in the world. And then when, when we keep seeing these images and we keep hearing these, these stories over and over again, um, that's trauma. Um, we're hearing stories on the, on the LGBT front, more black trans women are murdered than anything. And the numbers keep going up every year, every year. And we're having to have, there's a day set aside to remember those that have been killed, but it's getting to be so much that, we're having to mark mark almost every month how many people were killed and a lot of people are not saying it because it's it, it's not a sexy story that people are wanting to put on the news um and that's trauma you know i, I saw uh, something today where you know people were saying if black lives matter all black lives matter and that includes black trans women and they're not getting uh the full due right now it's getting better but again people are reliving their trauma being triggered by their trauma just so people can can wake up and say hey this is not right." And I think, and I don't know whether I'm being Pollyannish or or anything like that, but I would like to believe that more people are really getting it than those that choose not to. Because um, we all have a, an ignorance about something, but ignorance is fixable Is fixable because all ignorance it is, is that you are not you don't have the knowledge of something so i think that's why uh people like the people on on the multicultural committee and and people your friends and and things like that or people on social media share these stories even though they don't necessarily feel like it is because if we just just keep talking if we keep talking maybe somebody else will hear and maybe another person will hear and another person and another person and we'll finally eventually get out of this this trauma um So, and with the disabled community, we've been hearing um, things um, not only in the organized uh, disabled communities or movements, but just in general, uh, where people don't understand, you know you we're having the same issues whether you're you're white black <laughs> or everything in between with being discriminated against in employment um because of your color because of your disability because of your uh gender identity because of your orientation uh, because of your national origin, we're having the same issues that other people are having, but sometimes we have that same close-mindedness uh, that the outside world is, is showing us, and so there's there's that there's that trauma again so 2020 and this year which feels like 2020 redux so far it's hard to escape that trauma it's hard to escape it and so that's why i'm i'm really excited about more people like i said earlier having Having those conversations on self-care or going to therapy or counseling or working with a life coach or just taking a moment to decompress, Um, I think another good um, reason with the pandemic is that It allowed most of us to sit and be quiet, because you know when you're when pre-pandemic, we were all out and about with our lives. We were traveling. We were uh, out going on hikes. We're just busy, busy, busy. And not paying attention to the things that we needed to, we were there were a lot of people talking about they were woke, but they weren't doing anything about it. And so, I, one of the things that I think the pandemic, um, one of the silver linings, if I could say call it that, is that we have a lot of people um we have a lot of people that are like wow this is this is really going on i i didn't even know even though it's been out there cuz none of this is is new none of it is new um so i think that's one of the the bright lights that's come from the pandemic. More people are are aware. More people are having those tough conversations. Um, more people are trying to figure out what can I do, um, and it's not going to be perfect. Nowhere near it, but it's better than it was yesterday, and it. It will be better tomorrow. And that's what I keep, that's what I tell myself. Um, and I've, I've finally realized for myself, I cannot save the world because I have to save myself first and those that are around me. So when I, I talk to friends or I talk to people who, take part in in my guided listening sessions you know i'm not speaking to to stadiums i'm speaking to about 10 to 30 people at a time and those 10 to 30 people they are the world at that time so everybody that's listening now out of Everything that you've heard today will hear, t- hear tomorrow. You know, just, just focus on that little piece, your little piece of the world. Um, because when you focus on your little piece of the world, you make it more manageable. You make saving the world more manageable. So I'm going to kind of pause here and um, see if there are any questions because I feel like I've been talking <laughs> a really long time and uh, stop to take a little. drink, because I have allergies, and um, see if there are any questions or anything you guys would like me to to focus on um, next.
1: Wow. Well, I don't know, Diane. I just, like... I wish we were in person because I'd be giving you a standing ovation because yes. what you just said was, uh, you know, you just as as the kids now say, you you spit straight fire. You know, that's what the kids would say. You know, that was that was just truth. So anyway. Um, we, we would like to have a uh, lively discussion of uh, question and answer or just uh, feedback. So let me remind you again of the Zoom commands uh, for those of us on Zoom. Uh, Alt Y is uh, to raise your hand on the PC. Options Y is um, on the Mac. Uh, star nine if you're calling in on the landline, and on the app, it's under the more button and go to the raise hand option. And let me just see if we have. Um, um, oh, we do have uh, a couple of raise hands. So Lynn will uh, start out with you. You may unmute.
10: Well, first of all, Will, I want to thank you uh, for one of the things that people don't realize is the 13th amendment to the constitution did not outlaw slavery unconditionally. Mm -hmm. What it, it, it only did uh, conditionally. And that is why we have a prison industrial complex.
16: Mm -hmm.
10: Most of the people in prison right now are the majority are mentally ill and Mm -hmm. people of color. And we don't know that. And the other thing that we don't, uh, that you're, totally right about is it's all about power it's all about power is why this the discrimination happens why bias happens for unconscious bias and all the mm-hmm. things we we know about and one of the things that we do know do know about is that trans black women are really down on the totem pole and so you know if you're a trans person and you're black all these laws there's there's trying to promulgate laws right now to um Discriminate against uh, trans people in schools, in different places of employment and stuff like that. They're trying to roll back a lot of the protections that in June that were um, promulgated by the Supreme Court. They're doing these things. And we just have to be um, vigilant about these things. And I've had discussions this year, this last year, with my family on (laughs) email about, Black Lives Matter, and I was one of the first people to say to my dad, who's, you know, this liberal white guy, you know, and about how he can't just say all lives matter. That doesn't make sense, you know, and and I heard a great expression, all lives matter when all lives will matter, and they don't at this moment. And so I think when you talk about that, when you talk about um, my son tells me he feels uncomfortable sometimes being with his fiance's family because they grew up in small towns, and he's uh, Latino, Latino and Jewish. You know, mm-hmm. I say I get it, I get it. You know, and I think that these are things that we don't think about because we're used to the dominant culture. We're used to what we know, what 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 is dominant in us. And I think that I just wanted to honor you, and you know, we've been on many listening calls together, and I just think that you know we have to we have to get real and really make sure that we're the change that we want to see in other people. And that's what I do. You know, I, I, if somebody says something stupid, like, you know, all lives matter, I said, no, no, you can't say that. You know, then I get people saying, I agree with Lynn, you know, so, you know, Mm -hmm. I mean, this is, this is what it's about. We, we have to be right out there and say what our truth is. Thank you.
15: Uh, Glenn, I'm so glad you said that. Um, And Kind of piggybacking off of what you said, you know, a lot of people are are focused on the federal government and what is the U.S. Congress going to do? You know, people have to be active in their communities. Yes, your your friends and family, but also your city council, uh, your your state legislature, your school boards. We have to be active because that's where the change is going to happen, because no matter what your political stripes are, Congress is not going to be, well, the U.S. Congress is not going to be able to to do everything. We have to hit this from all levels, and, you know, everybody's going to have to use their God-given strengths um, to, to make those changes, but thank you.
1: Okay, next up we have Byron. Byron, you may go ahead and um, unmute and add to your part to the discussion.
12: Hey guys, Um, first of all, Will, I just wanted to thank you again for taking the time out of your day to come and be part of our presentation. Um, You know, I I remember having this conversation with you on Tuesday about, you know, being the go to person sometimes Mm -hmm. for this topic and how that can get a little tiring, but we really do appreciate how much effort and energy that you put in to, um, educating people about this stuff. My question for you is, um, you know, we as blind people, we often encounter, uh, well-meaning individuals that, um, are trying to help, but they are doing things that ruffle our feathers. You know, for example, the person that grabs you by the arm, Mm-hmm. And walks you through the crosswalk, or you know, grabs the tip of your cane and guides you somewhere. And we realize that they're well-meaning, but they are, you know, they're getting under our skin and doing things that are unintentionally, really, just making us uncomfortable, angry, uh, upset, whatever. And so, I imagine that white people um, do this a lot, where they are well-meaning, uh, but they are doing something that really is just not helping and, in fact, might be making things worse. So, my question is, um, as a white person, what are the things that I can do that really make a difference, that really help, rather than just sort of surface level, oh, that's nice, but that's not really helpful? Uh,
15: That's a really good question. Um, You know, we're all coming from different places. Like you said, um, everybody's coming from a, a different place. And we all are going to get our, our feathers ruffled, <laughs> as you said. Um, one thing would be to, um, if you don't know where to start doing research, and, and Cheryl helped me <laughs> realize, because I said, just Google it and um she's like no you you might get sucked into a hole that you don't want to go down so if you have somebody that you're comfortable with um instead of asking that person hey tell me everything i need to know um you could say where where do you suggest i look for what i need to know and then you can come back later if you have questions based on on what you've read or, you know, if you've gone to a, a webinar or anything like that and you have specific questions. Because sometimes asking questions is difficult because we don't want to, you know, um, I don't think a lot of people want to intentionally offend people. So I think if you go to somebody that you're comfortable with and say, where do I need to go to, to learn more? And can I come back to you uh, with questions I might have after I do my research? I think that's perfectly fine because there's going to have to be conversation in order for all of us to move forward. So I think that's the simplest thing that that people can do. Okay. Yeah. Um, thanks, Byron and
1: Cheryl. Speaking of Cheryl, Cheryl's up next. So Cheryl, you may go ahead and unmute.
11: Oh, hi
1: Byron.
4: Uh, not hi Byron. Hi, Will. Yeah, um, there. <laughs> and hi Byron too. Hello. Um, so I'm wondering, um, why do you think? Uh, African-Americans, especially maybe African-American males, as you mentioned, are willing to acknowledge that there's a need for help because, as you said, and as we know, the trauma has always existed, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, because we've just always been confronting discrimination Mm. or microaggressions or something so what do you think has changed why are we why are people willing to say out loud not acceptable
15: yeah you know i think again i think it's due to the pandemic i think we're at a place where we can't run from our stuff (laughs) anymore now, you know once we get people vaccinated and back out there, who knows what it will be? But when we're sitting at home, some of us with kids or grandkids um and you're you're stuck with self and you can't run from yourself, it kind of makes you think, "Oh." I need to work on myself so I can stand myself (laughs) while I'm stuck in the house. And hopefully, I'm hoping that this will um, translate to a better life for people even after um, we're not stuck in the house as much and after we get back out there um, amongst the people i'm hoping is something that will translate moving forward um because like i said it's not going to be perfect but i think people are just uh, how does the saying go they're they're sick and tired of being sick and tired and i think that's that's probably the most reasonable thing that that i could say people are tired of being sick and tired okay uh, wrote, Rose, can, I, can oh. I
4: say one? I just want to say one thing. Um, I I think I I agree with you, and I think one of the things um, that I I want us to think about as we sort of move forward is, um, and I'm I'm borrowing this from uh, somebody else who said, you know, a lot of times when um, we want to know about the lives of black Americans um, there's an assumption that there's a trauma um, mm-hmm. there's something horrible that's happened and I want us to maybe start and, and maybe part of change and part of the impact of Black History Month can be that we start looking for just learning about people's lives And acknowledging that there's a spectrum. So, yes, there are stories of trauma, but there are also stories of just being in joy and -hmm. that we need to make room in our understanding of, you know, who are African-Americans to encompass everything.
15: Oh, yeah. I like that. (laughs) And I'm going to steal it from you.
1: (laughs) Okay. So up next we have Rosemary. Rosemary you can go ahead and unmute.
11: Uh, hi, this is Rose in um, Massachusetts and so I'm listening to you speak will and it's very interesting. Um, and I'm one of those ignorant people that don't know everything and some of some of everything. The mm-hmm. one thing I don't know is the all of the alphabet that you just stated prior to the, uh, the I don't know, which, the community of uh, gay and lesbian, mm-hmm. ABC and EFD. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm so mm-hmm. sorry. I'm
15: just mm-hmm.
11: very ignorant with all of the alphabet. So what does all of that mean?
15: Um, it, it stands for lesbian, gay, bisexual, questioning, <clears throat> or queer, intersex, and ally, or asexual. And then there's a plus at the end, because there's even more letters, that if we went through, all the letters would be here past our time. <laughs> so, but um, one good place to look would be um, with a blind LGBT pride uh international or bpi um we have a lot of that information on the website or um you can reach out on to anyone on the contact page or um find a way to get in contact with me and i can definitely um share more information with all those letters
11: okay um, and one other thing I'd like to say is thank you for uh, taking the time to uh, talk about all of the uh, intertwining issues relating to not only Black people but people in general, because there's a lot of mentally ill people um, throughout the world. And I think <laughs> of, because of the the pandemic, people have now... Um, self-medicated and self uh, drank to death or um, Mm -hmm. have done a lot of things that they would not have normally done if they were not uh, confined to quarters, basically. Um, Mm -hmm. I just found out about a young man who drank himself to death. And um, uh, because he's been confined, I mean, he was also ill before, but he just continued to drink and uh, that's what actually killed him unfortunately mm. um the other thing is that some of the things that you were talking about as far as the trauma and that's what that is it was trauma in his life mm. and people just do these things and they don't even realize that they're 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 killing themselves and it's not uh, it's not always something that other people want to talk about mm-hmm. um, their self-medicating with the alcohol and the, and the drugs and the pills and so on and so forth. So, or even with food, because sometimes people just eat this to death, <laughs> you know, they gain a lot of weight and they end up, you know, harming themselves that way. So, because again, we're stuck in the house and we're okay, what can I do?
12: <laughs> you know, mm-hmm.
11: it's not working or, Something like that, but anyway, thank you so much for your time and um, and sharing that information with me.
1: Thank okay. you. And we do have about ten minutes left. Um, so, Matt Selm, you are next. You can. Thank you on very on much.
14: And Unruh. Yep. All right. Uh, Will, thank you very much for coming to speak to us today, and my thanks to the Multicultural Affairs Committee as well for their excellent presentation um well i'm I'm, i I always like good analogies and your pot roast analogy is i think one that is going to stick with me for the Mm -hmm. the the rest of my life um it 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 was just so powerful i i wonder um byron took my question but (laughs) i wonder if um That's all right. I wonder if uh, in your, you know, in the speeches that you give to small groups and then the people that you've encountered, you know, I, sometimes I feel like blind people would generally have an easier time understanding the, the plight of other minority groups Uh, just because we are a minority in and of ourselves. But sometimes that that isn't always the case. Um, And I'll give you just a a little example. When when I was in college, uh, which was back in the early 2000s, the local Ku Klux Klan group came to campus and handed out flyers and tried to pass out their literature and, there were some other incidents and that sort of thing. And uh, there was an interview in the lo- local newspaper with one of the individuals, and it come to find out that that person was a blind man. And I was very stunned by that, that, you know, someone that was, in fact, a minority could have uh, disdain for other people and, you know, solely based upon, The color of their skin you know something that he certainly couldn't physically perceive so i i just you know i i just want to know what you know we i often look at social media and look at look at facebook and i wonder how can people hold these beliefs in the 21st century um but i wonder you know if you had any comments on that or or anything like that so
15: um that's a a good question matt um you know i think your question brings to mind how policing started um, in the on the continent even before we were a country um you know back then people were considered citizens if they were White men who were landowners, and when they when policing started, it was to um, watch. They were called slave patrols, and there were too many slaves for um, people to keep up with. They actually followed them around to make sure they would come back um, to the master and so when when immigrants started coming over um and they looked like the the rich white landowners they the those same landowners used those people's those immigrants' looks you look like me, so I'm gonna pay you some money to um watch these, these slaves and, and these poor people uh, and keep them in line. So they will, they will use whatever they need to to keep whatever they want, people of color or the poor, in line. And that's what uh, a lot of times people get caught up um they get caught up in hey i have this in common with you um so i'm gonna go with what what you've gone with um so and a lot of times it doesn't make sense people want to belong uh if that makes sense um People just simply want to belong, and I don't think we can <laughs> delve into it in the last uh, couple of minutes, but um, I'll send over um, some some readings that can be shared, because um, there's a lot of um, study that's been, been done about it.
1: Okay, and we do have about five minutes, and we have uh, three or four more raised hands, so um, Will, um, if you're willing to stay a little bit, you know, past uh, the the top of the hour, I know ACB Radio has to drop off at the uh, top of the hour, but if you're willing to stay and just take these last few raised hands, or is that something you can do? That sounds good. Okay, okay, sounds good. And as long as Tyann's okay with that, we'll continue moving forward. So totally. Um, okay, so we have Diana. Up next, Deanna, you can unmute.
14: I will. Hello uh, there.
6: <laughs> um, so many times I've stood in line behind uh, you guys because I was the Braille Revival League <laughs> in, the, in the queue, you know, and we're often sitting there pretty much by ourselves. So I've had mm. lots of good conversation plus helping find my place in line by looking for you. <laughs> <laughs> um, what I um, wanted to share is right now in South Dakota there's been a big fight um, to protect um, two-spirit people is what Native Americans mm-hmm. um, call themselves who um, are not um, You know, uh, the funny thing is growing up as a child, I got so much total acceptance in my family and on the res because part of what Native Americans believe in is that everybody has gifts and can make a contribution and everybody has value. And so I was never made to feel inferior or damaged when I was among my people, Mm -hmm. only when I left the reservation. And it was when we were forced into um, schools that were usually run by religious, actually (laughs) zealots a lot of times, Um, that was when we were forced to not accept people who had different orientations. And it was such a sad thing. So w- many of us, you know, have always accepted everyone. And we are trying to teach. It's a traditional value mm-hmm. among us. So we are trying to teach the young and the um, people who have bought into Western uh, behaviors that are not part of our culture. And that's one thing. And a suggestion. Last Sunday, I, I participated with my local library um, in a human library event. Mm-hmm. So I was a living book. <laughs> and I went and met with you know it was small groups of people. Um, two sessions and talk to them about blindness and about native American culture and people from all over the world come on these calls on, um, on zoom. And they ask those questions in small sessions in a very protected way. Nothing is ever recorded. Mm-hmm. And we get a bit of training beforehand on, you know, how to defuse and, and how to keep control of, of what, goes on in our session. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a valuable way to take down barriers mm-hmm. and provide a safe way for people to communicate with each other across religious barriers, across gender barriers, across um racial or you know, any of these things that mm-hmm. make big walls between people. And it was a program started in Denmark denmark i think about uh 2013 or so and it's international so um you can find out about it you know and um sign up to go to one of these zoom sessions i had people from england and belgium and afghanistan and all (laughs) over the place in my group and it was really interesting just to talk
15: thank you i just took a note of that thank you Uh,
1: hello Okay, I have an 805 number, um, and you can go ahead and um, unmute. Well, it looks like you're already unmuted, but you can go ahead and talk.
16: (laughs) Yeah, um, my name is Jennifer, and um, I'm having to deal with the fact that I'm 45 years old, and everybody, and heck, all the members of my church are... A mix of uh, uh, Christian, Jewish, secular, atheist. Uh, I grew up in a controversial kind of family environment where one family member believed that God was real, and another family member said religion was the opium of the people. And I don't remember the rest of the quote. And I'm kind, I kind of look, I kind of tend to, I'm, I'm a mix of everything. <laughs> that's what my dad says he says we're, you know he thinks we're all mixtures what do you think of that idea
15: i i I think we basically are we're we start off as a product of our family and then Mm -hmm. as we go out into the world we we get all these different ideas and different perspectives. It's just a matter of knowing what's right for you and doing we all have to study um so we can learn even more because our, our family and friends and, and co-workers and who we're around, they're the basis. They're our foundation. But mm-hmm. I I think it's always up to us to take it a little bit further. Um, because some things, once you study, you're like, this doesn't make sense. <laughs> so- yeah,
16: because you know, I, I realized that 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 whole statement wasn't even the full quote. It was actually mom only remembered part of the statement, and it actually it said um, in the rest of the quote uh, there, and I don't remember the quote in its entirety. But it also it said that religion can either be an opiate or it could be a positive force depending on who. I mean, because you know, I keep thinking back to what my mom was panicking about um, when I got my first, when I had my first boyfriend, and she's like, he could be another Jim Jones, and you know, she was panicking like crazy. And I, I didn't know myself, and I was, I was a young kid. You know, when you're a teenager, you you don't have the necessary knowledge to understand that what you might be getting involved in could potentially be harmful to yourself or somebody else. And so I almost got I almost became I almost I got connected with these Seventh day Adventists and they're they're, you know, friendly people, nice people. But then when I looked at some of the writings of Ellen G. White, um, I realized, wait, this is too controversial. I told them I could no longer be a part of this. Gonna, I couldn't be a part of the Adventist church at all. And I mean, they're still around. They still are doing their whatever they do. But I mean, I'm, I'm, I mean, they were giving me frail materials. And I finally just threw out all, all of those materials. And I said, you know, I'm going back to the church I started with because something's wrong with my. It's either my mental. If it's, it's, I have post-traumatic stress disorder because of physical and sexual assault and after all that happened you know i i we tried every tactic in the book including litigation mm-hmm. my mom and myself and nothing worked in the long run and we're still fighting we i i think collectively we are still fighting these battles
15: yeah uh and i i thank you for sharing that um you know i think you did a, a good thing by studying and realizing hey this is not for me so you moved on and i think even by your presence for the
1: oh i'm sorry i muted you accidentally will i apologize Mm -hmm. you're gonna have to unmute let's see i'm yep you're unmuted i'm sorry for doing that
15: okay can you hear me now yep OK, good, good, good. Oh, uh, uh, Just really quickly, um, I'm glad Jennifer was able, with your presence, even for that little short time, you might have helped them learn how to deal with other blind people that they come across in the future. So I don't believe in coincidences. Um, everything is connected. So you needed to be there for that little bit of time.
1: OK, up next, we have Dan Spoon so, Dan, go ahead.
0: Hi, Will. Hey, Dan. Thank, how you doing, sir? Thanks good, for the good. presentation. Um, I was, the you know, over the last uh, couple of days, you know, uh, two different news stories really um, kind of reached me a little bit. And I wanted to share those with you and get your thoughts. The first was related to the LGBTQ plus community. And that was a report that's just come out here, I think, in the last day or two about the percentage of adults in the United States that now identify as part of the LGBTQ plus community. And it's grown over the last three years from three plus percent to four plus percent to this year was a little over five percent. But this was what really interested me about the next level that they kind of um, dug down. And that was, they looked at it by, um, by generation. So, people 75 and over, only 1.2% of that population in the United States identified as LGBTQ+. plus. When it went to the baby boomers at 57 through 74, it went to 2% generation x which is your early 40s to you know mid 50s was 3.8%. Now this is what really interests me and I wanted to share it with next gen and get their thoughts. When it went to the millennials which are kind of the 25 to 40 range it went to 9.3%. And when you went to generation z it went to 15.1% which seemed you know, like there's some significant um, to me like we've for those generations there's there's a safer place where people are feeling a little more comfortable identifying so that that really interested me, and then the other news story I heard yesterday was the founder of Netflix talking about which you know is so important to our culture today and how, how much they are really working. They do a report each year on diversity. And this year, they're up to 50% of their employees are people of color and uh, through, you know, the different uh, uh, ethnic groups. And not only do they report on that, they also reported on the percentage of their performers performers, and all of their original content that are people of color and broke it down by not only color, but women and men by uh, disability. And I thought that was really interesting and, and how much focus uh, they're putting on diversity, uh, not only with their workers, but the people that are in front of the camera and the people that are behind the camera doing the productions. So, both of those seemed healthy to me uh, and good steps forward. So I wanted to get your thoughts.
15: Yeah, I read that that article, especially on the LGBTQ uh, plus um, article. I saw that I think this weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, like I was saying before, I think it like you said it is generational and i think people nowadays have access to so many uh different types of people through social media Mm -hmm. um that thing people don't view (laughs) things the same um you know in the older generations you know they were basically just taught one way, whether it was through religion um, or whatever it was, you know, there weren't less LGBTQ folks. They just didn't share it. Correct. Um, that, that's my thought. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I, I think it's good that we are more open um, there's still a way to go um, but yeah it's it's nice because i i was talking about this too the other day when i was in high school um uh, i don't want to say when <laughs> <laughs> but when i was in high school people were not out i remember there being one guy who was that was out and proud as they say Mm -hmm. and i went back um to do a talk and it seems like everybody in the school was out and Mm -hmm. i was like wow this is weird but great at the same time because you can see the growth happening in real time and um as far as the netflix netflix thing i think um a lot of these companies, especially in this past year, um, have been forced um, because of these these rough conversations that are difficult conversations that are going on to really put a focus on the diversity piece um, mm-hmm. because we all have money to spend just. Um, and I think about a c b when you know we a c b did the 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 talks with uh, Netflix back a couple of years ago to get audio description right and I remember one of the things we have money to spend too, right <laughs> so I think it's just a matter of people being willing to have. Conversations coming from a place of love and coming from a place of understanding, realizing that we're not always going to agree. But right. uh, just because we don't agree doesn't make the other person just like a bad person because they don't, we don't see eye to eye.
0: Right. Now, the thing on the LGBTQ report, which still really bothered me, was even though there seems to be more. Openness. At the same time, the amount of bullying and harassment has not gone down.
15: Yeah, there's, you know, with with LGBTQ uh, and and um, diversity, yep. those people are still being their foundation is still coming from people that have that what I'm going to say <laughs> backward thinking Mm -hmm. um some of those people will eventually change when they get out there on their own and some won't but i really believe and i'm knocking on wood here that a lot of them will get out there and encounter more people more diverse people whether it's sexual identity uh, gender identity uh, ethnicity or what have you, and realize that people are just people. Yep. Um, I'm really believing that, and uh, there'll be f- fewer and fewer people over time, hopefully in my lifetime.
0: <laughs> and, and I do agree with you, and then I'll be quiet. Is I do believe this is an, a unique moment in the history of our country, maybe one that hasn't happened in a hundred years, mm-hmm. which is. The trauma, the crisis that has happened to this country this year, Mm -hmm. um, you you know, things don't change when people, things are good, believe it or not. Mm -hmm. Things change when things are are difficult. Mm -hmm. Um, And so as bad as this year's been, I I think we really have to look at it as an opportunity to really change minds. Oh, Oh, yeah. I agree. Yeah.
1: Okay. Well, excellent. Well, that's the end um, of our questions. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, all of the people who contributed to this discussion. And, Tyann, I definitely um, am going to say, as the host, that we need to have keep having these discussions. Yes, right? I in agree. Our, in our affiliates, in our um, wherever we can have them. We need to have them. And, uh, Diane, I was just thinking about one thing we offer um, um, at as part of ACD, ACB Next Gen. Well, first I want to ask Will. Will, where can people um, find out more about you, your work? Do you have a website or uh, anything like that?
15: Um, if they want to find out more about my work, um, they can go to disabilityrightstx.org, uh, or to be um, simpler, it's drtx.org, um, or they can go to my blog where I kind of share a little bit about myself and, and some of the topics I talk about at um, libras-balance.blog. Okay. And I can I can send that out too.
1: Okay, excellent. Um, and Tyann, do you just uh, before we end here, do you just want to give a little uh, little shout out to ACB Next Generation and how people can be more involved in with our
2: affiliate? All right. Yes, we are ACB Next Gen. We are the forty and younger group, for, and. People above that can be supporting members. We have uh, our Facebook group is ACB Next Generation. We're on Twitter at ACB Next Generation. We have a YouTube channel that right now we feature uh, interviews with different members of ACB Next Gen. And if you want more information, you can email acbnextgen at gmail.com.
1: And Tayan, I just want to real quickly uh, give um, one of our membership perks. We've been having a lot of discussion in our ACB Next Gen Lounge Facebook group, which is only um, available to uh, members of um, our affiliate. So, that's kind of a VIP perk that we have uh, going on. So, uh, dues are $15 per year and we would love it. Uh, <laughs> it's funny. Some some people call this uh, the telethon portion, right, Tyann? But we would, yeah. we would seriously love it if uh, you became a member. So, uh, with that, um, I guess I would like to thank Jeff Bishop and ACB Radio for, for streaming and tie in any, any final words that uh, you have.
2: Well, thank you, ACB Radio. Thank you, Will Burley and MCAC. And I love when uh, we see our president on here.
1: Yes, yes, Dan Spoon. Thank you, Dan Spoon, for uh, representing our organization and being the uh, being our fearless leader so so uh thank you all for coming and as i like to say good night and better tomorrow's